Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The podcast is about to begin. Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 97 of the Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. I'm your host, Tino Romero Jr., a.k.a. The Graveyard Grumbler. Today's episode is a little controversial for most folks. It's it's something that actually hurt my heart. I, I didn't want to make this episode. I thought it was just pretty much an open shut deal that it is what it is, but no, it isn't. But before I get into that, I just want to say I'm back. I'm back making episodes. I'm back on the pod. I am back doing something that I absolutely love. I had to take a hiatus. For those of you who don't follow me on other things, I just want to give a quick shout out to everyone that helped me get a house. That's what I was vacant or absent from the podcast for a while. I had to, oh man, buying a house is so stressful. I don't, I'm not going to get into that too much. I just want to thank everyone that was my realtor, my loan officer, everyone who helped me. I appreciate it very, very much. Thank you so much for, for all everything you've done. But now that I have taken most, taken care of most things here at the house, I am now able to focus on the podcast and get back into the groove that I was in and make wonderful episodes for all of my listeners out there. I want to thank you guys all for being loyal. I appreciate each and every one of you. But today's episode is going to be about the Amityville Horror House. Yeah, that house. We are going to be talking about the Amityville Horror. Now, a lot of you guys are like, grumbler. We already know about it. It's haunted as fuck, and nobody wants to stay in there. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. But now we're going to get into what actually happened. And let me tell you, it's here, it's there, it's everywhere. But for the most part, I I'm, I wasn't happy with the outcome. You might not be happy with the outcome. But anyway, let's go ahead and get into it. Episode 97, Amityville Horror. What is the Amityville Horror? On November 13th, 1974, 23-year-old Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. entered a local bar in Amityville and cried out for help, saying that his entire family had been shot. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the Amityville horror, Amityville tragedy, we all know why he went in there and why he said his family has been shot. But for those of you who do not know, I will not spoil it. I will go ahead and read you the next thing. DeFeo and some of the bar patrons returned to DeFeo's house at 112 Ocean Avenue. Once inside, they found DeFeo's parents, Ronald DeFeo Sr. and Luis DeFeo, dead from apparent gunshot wounds. The police were called, and when they arrived, it was discovered that not only were DeFeo's parents shot dead, but so were DeFeo's siblings, Don, age 18, Allison, age 13, Mark, age 12, and John Matthew, age 9. So from the beginning, we already know that something bad happened at the Amityville house. Butch DeFeo, we're going to call him Butch DeFeo. He went on a murderous rampage, killing his entire family. Now, what originally was said that the reason why he went on this killing spree is because the house was haunted, the house was possessed, and it ended, him, it ended up driving him insane to where it was unbearable and the house convinced him to kill his entire family. Now, we, that's the story we know. Those are the movies that we've seen. We, we understand that that is a strong possibility thanks to the Warrens and several other issues or people experiences that we've seen that inanimate objects can host and harbor possessed demons or demons that are, that are capable of possessing you. And we know how deep, I mean, following the, after the DeFeo's, the, yeah, the DeFeo family vacated the house by force and Butch was arrested. We know that the Lutz family or the Lutz family, I should say, 
came in and we are mostly familiar with their experiences. If not, I will get into that here in a little bit, but let's go ahead and continue on what is what I have written down here. Ronald DeFeo Jr. claimed that he knew who the killer was, a mob hitman. Yes, really, he really said that. The police understandably didn't buy that story and proceeded to interview DeFeo. Now, the, the hitman is very important for later on what I'm going to get into, uh, what, what, what else was said regarding these murders. So if you're already confused and you're like, Grumbler, I don't want to hear it. This is bullshit. I know. Trust me. When I was doing this, this when, I was, when I was getting the information, getting the research done, I wasn't happy with myself. I had to look myself in the mirror and say, yo, what are you doing? You are completely changing the narrative and everything that I know. Look, man, I understand that. I know. I know what I'm doing. Just, just trust me. Just go along for the ride. Have I let you guys down before? No. Let's continue. The interview resulted in numerous inconsistencies, and it quickly became apparent that DeFeo was the prime suspect. By the next day, DeFeo had confessed to the murderers, saying, Once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went too fast. Or, sorry, it went so fast. End quote. When DeFeo went to trial, however, his story had changed. His lawyers claimed insanity, stating that DeFeo claimed he heard demonic voices urging him to kill. We're going to pause right there. One of the biggest things that the Amityville House Horror is, is, is notorious for is no one was, is able to stay in that house longer than 24 hours for the fact that the house is so possessed. The house is so demonic. The house is so fucked up pretty much that it will drive anyone insane, causing them to have possessed fits of, out, of, of violent outbursts, meaning that DeFeo Jr., Butch, went and killed his family, not because he wanted to, but because the house drove him insane. For those of you who haven't watched the Amityville House Horror, I think the best movie to watch would be the one with Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds played that, that part amazingly. I mean, I, I, was, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was going to be a big-ass flop like the rest of them. But the one with uh, Ryan Reynolds, the Amityville House Horror, was a really good remake. I, I, I give that one two thumbs up. I definitely urge you to watch it if you're not familiar with the Amityville House Horror, which I, I, would, I would be shocked and amazed for those of you who, haven't, who aren't familiar with the Amityville House now. I mean, this happened in the 70s. It's been a cult classic and, and an iconic movie from the 80s on until now. But according to DeFeo, like he said, the house, he heard demonic voices saying, kill his family, kill his family, kill his family. And of course... After a while, when you keep hearing it, but you can't find the source, it's going to drive you insane, right? Right. We know that. But what you don't know is what I'm going to tell you. The jury didn't find DeFeo's defense believable, and he was found guilty on six counts of second-degree murder and sentenced to six sentences of 25 years to life. It's kind of hard to convince a jury that you're insane when you don't have proof. You know, Grumbler, how are you going to have proof if you're insane? I, I, I understand it. The house isn't always going to show its, its cheeks. The house isn't always going to get wild on the yard when, when people, when you need it to. I mean, my, what the best defense would probably be, hey, go spend, a night and, go spend a night or two in that house and then get back to me, son. Let me know if you think I'm crazy when you're in that house and it drives you crazy and you want to kill somebody. That's what I would have told the jury. That's what I would have told the, that's what I would have told the prosecutors. Look, man. You think I'm crazy? Why don't you go stay in the house and see how crazy I am once you go crazy and you're crazy with me? But no, nobody wants to do that. Everyone wants to talk a big game, but nobody wants to go play the game once they, once they talk it. 
Still, some unsettling questions remained. All of the victims were found shot face down in their bed in separate rooms, suggesting they had all been killed in their sleep. How do you? How did that happen, do you think? How had DeFeo managed to shoot them all with a loud rifle and not disturb anyone from their slumber in the process? Or had he shot them elsewhere and then staged the scene to make it look like they were all asleep in their beds? If so, why? So allegedly to various reports. Now, let me, let me just throw this out there before I continue. This was probably one of the most difficult episodes that I had to do in such a long time. There is not, there, there isn't a lot of, of information regarding what exactly happened. There's just hearsay. I'm going to read some stuff that uh, an author wrote that, that he stated in several interviews. I, I couldn't even find anything on the Warrens, what they had to say. I mean, I found video and all, but I'm not going to sit there and watch video and translate it and write it down. That's, that's, that takes too goddamn long. If you want to do it, just look, just YouTube, uh, uh, what's it, Elaine Warren, what's her name, Lorraine, Lorraine Warren on Amityville House, and she'll tell you how terrified she was and how ridiculous it was and everything like that. And I mean, it, I, I get it, but let me get into that. Trust me, you're going to enjoy it. Just, just, just relax. The full story will likely never be known because DeFeo kept changing details of events. However, DeFeo kept changing details of events over the years, depending on who he talked to. Whatever the whole truth is, DeFeo took it to his grave. He died on March 12th, 2021. So allegedly, the reason why no one woke up during the entire gunshots when, when this whole process was happening was that the house, for some reason, was able to silence the loud rifle shooting and bought him time for him to shoot his entire family. Because of the house's demonic forces and demonic powers, he was able to slowly and methodically shoot each and every member of his household without a trace or without anyone waking up because of the power of the demonic forces that the house possessed. Now, do you believe that? I don't believe that. But that is the story that is being told, and that is what is going on here with, with, the, with the family. Again, Amity, Amityville House, the Amityville House is documented as one, as, as one of the most haunted houses ever in the entire history of haunted houses all across the world. I mean, this is a renowned house. Everybody from around the world knows about the Amityville House. And if you don't, then you're slipping in a parallel universe somewhere. And you need to get up on our level. Look it up. Check out the movie with Ryan Reynolds, The Amityville House Horror. It was really good. But let's continue. So the Lutz family finally moves in. After the DeFeo massacre was cleaned up, the bodies were taken out. Blood was scrubbed from the floor. It doesn't smell like old cottage cheese and rancid meat anymore. Everything was taken out. Now we have the Lutz family, who, if you guys are familiar with, are the ones who, who legitimately and loudly confirmed and voiced everything that was going on in the house that DeFeo had claimed was happening before that caused him to shoot his family. See, I didn't know about the Lutz family. I thought that the DeFeo family was the one that was suffering and witnessing everything. And Butch DeFeo Jr. was the one who was recounting everything which caused the Amityville house horror. I didn't know because I didn't pay attention that the Lutz family was the one who actually endured and was most and the most vocal about everything that was happening in the Amityville house horror. Now you tell me, Grumbler, I told you it's right there in front of your face, brother. It's right there, man. Open your eyes so you can see. Look, man, I understand. I understand, but, but you have to hear me out. 
Let me, let me, let me share the research that I know. Let me share the research that I've heard about and I've read and we'll come to some sort of agreement or happy medium, or we'll just agree to disagree. Right? Right. So the Lutz family in December of 1975, the Lutz family moved it. I see. I don't know if it's Lutz or Lutz. We're just going to call them Lutz because of Klutz. That's what I'm, that's what I think. The Lutz family moved in after buying the house at an extremely cheap price of $80,000. Side note, I wish houses were still that cheap. I really do. <laughs> if I bought a house for $80,000, I'd pay that fucker off in a few, in, in, under, in under eight years, I'd be able to pay that house off. But no, we have to have several hundred thousands of dollars for a goddamn house now. It was a steal for a 4,000-square-foot house with waterfront access, a boathouse, heated swimming pool, garage, and full basement. But the family stay would be short-lived, lasting a mere 28 days. 4,000 square feet with waterfront access for only $80,000. Sign me up for that house, coach. Some of, their, some of the Lutz family's ghostly claims included George mysteriously waking up at 3.15 a.m. every night, which was supposedly the time that Ronald DeFeo carried out his murders. The family also witnessed green slime oozing out of the walls, doors opening and closing on their own, people levitating above their beds, sounds of a phantom marching band, and a demonic pig. You, you heard me right. Sounds of a phantom marching band and a demonic pig. Now you're scratching your head, right? Now you're like, look, man, this isn't what the movie showed. I know. I know. But let me keep going. You have to understand that, again, I was very upset at, the, at what was supposedly really truly, truthfully happened versus what was portrayed in the movie. Even though the movie says based on a true story or based on true events, it, it, I mean, Hollywood completely missed the mark on this as, as per usual. But at the same time, I mean, a, a phantom marching band and a fucking pig? Come on now. We're going to hear Wilbur running through the goddamn halls? What, what's, what's next? We're, we're going to hear Shrek say, that'll do, piggy. That'll do. Oh, it's donkey, right? Never mind. Let's scratch that joke. Let's take that joke out. Father Mancuso was a lawyer, judge of the Catholic court, and psychotherapist who lived at the local Sacred Heart Rectory. He arrived to perform the blessing while George and Kathy weren't packing their belongings on the afternoon of December 18th, 1975, and went into the building to carry out the rites, R-I-T-E-S. Now, for those of you who are familiar again, I, I keep saying for those of you, but we're just going to cut that out. So most people understand that a lot of religious people, especially Catholics, are going to want their house blessed, even if there's no haunting or there's no evidence of any mal or ill spirits roaming around within the, the compounds or confines of your house. A lot of Catholics just like to have their house blessed at, just for something new, new beginning. You know, I don't want any ghosts. Get the fuck out. You're not paying any rent. New tenants, who dis? So a lot of times that there are a lot of Catholic people, I mean, extremely devout Catholics will have their house blessed. They would even have their cars blessed before getting into them or when they bought them just for the fact that they want something clean and pure, so to speak. So in this case, the, the Lutz family said, yo, let's go ahead and get the priest out here. We need to get this house blessed just in case. So that's what they did. When the priest flicked 
the first holy water and began to pray, he heard a masculine voice demand that he get out. When leaving the house, Father Mancuso did not mention this incident to either George or Kathy. Now, hold on. Wait a minute. Hold up. Wait a minute. Let me get some. Okay. So what's going to happen is if you're in my house and you start throwing holy water, throwing it over here, throwing it over there, and then you hear this masculine voice who's not mine tells you to get out and you don't tell me, yo, we're going to have some hands to be thrown. You are not going to, why would you keep this information for me when I have to live here? I understand that it scared the shit out of you and you're not happy and you're very upset at the fact that this even happened to you. But wouldn't it be common courtesy to let the owners of the house know, the fucking residents know that, yo, someone just told me to get out and it wasn't you and it wasn't me and it wasn't anyone else, but someone from the wall said, told me to get out when I started throwing holy water everywhere. Yeah, I, I would ha- I'm going to have a problem if you knew this and you withheld this information from me. I'm probably going to throw a little pippity paps right to the side of your domeskis. Probably. Because that's some information that you should tell me. I mean, if if the house scared a priest so bad that he just walked out without saying anything, then there's some concern regarding the haunting or the possession of this house. On December 24th, 1975, Father Manscuzo called George Lutz and advised him to stay out of the second floor room where he had heard the mysterious voice. The former bedroom of Mark and John... Mark and John Matthew DeFeo that Kathy planned to use as a sewing room, but the call was cut short by static. So let me take the pippity paps back. We're not going to pippity pap the father. Father Mancuso called, ended up calling George Lutz or Lutz and advised him to stay out of the second floor room where he had heard the mysterious voice. During the conversation, the call was cut short by static. So, during the conversation, all of a sudden the phone dies because, or the call ends, it doesn't die because, I mean, they didn't have cell phones like we have now. But the phone, the, the call is cut short and all they hear is static. Hmm. Either someone didn't pay their phone bill or there might be some haunting malpractice or some foul play going around in that house. You be the judge. I'm not going to be the judge. But, I mean, at least the father did call him to give him a courtesy heads up. Like, yo, there's somebody living in your house and I didn't see anybody else living in your house but you. So don't go to that room because it's all bad. Following his visit to the house, Father Mancuso allegedly developed a high fever and blisters on his hands similar to stigmata. (laughs) I don't mean to laugh. I don't mean to laugh. But, you know, I mean to laugh. (laughs) <laughs> At first, George and Kathy experienced nothing unusual in the house. Ta- talking about their experiences subsequ- subsequently, they reported that it was as if they were each living in a different house. I don't know what that means. But I mean, we have to think about this. Father Mancuso allegedly developed a high fever and blisters on his hands similar to stigmata. Now, for those of you, I keep saying that. If you guys are familiar with what stigmata means, stigmata is one of the most holiest things that can ever happen to anyone. Only the holiest of holiest of people can receive the stigmata. And what the stigmata is that you start receiving pains and wounds as Jesus did when he was crucified on the cross. So you're going to get holes through your hands. You're going to get holes through your ankles. 
Your head's going to start bleeding because of the crown of thorns. You're going to start receiving whips on your back. And then, of course, the fatal blow to the ribs that went underneath into his heart that dealt the final strike that killed Jesus Christ, allegedly. So, Mr. Father Mancuso allegedly started receiving blisters similar to the stigmata on his hands. But my question is, is that if, he, if he's the holiest of the holiest, wouldn't he been able to get rid of this demon ghost out of the, out of the, the Amityville house without any issue? I mean, if, if he's rolling that deep that he has the power of Jebus on him, wouldn't, wouldn't that just make sense to you? At least that would make sense to me. Now, I'm not trying to debunk anything. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to convince you one way or the other. I'm just reasoning things out that's going on in my head. That's why it's my episode and it's my podcast. <laughs> if you guys have any questions or any comments on the Amityville house, feel free to send me a message on at you can email me, graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. Graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. Or you can hit me on trusty old Instagram, Graveyard Grumbler Podcast, and we can have a great conversation there. Or you can hit me on the Discord. I haven't, I don't know the Discord off the top of my head. I'll put the link in the bio. We'll go ahead and, uh, or in the show notes, and you can Discord me there and we can have a chat there. It doesn't bother me. But I want to know what you think. I know what I think, but I want, I want to know what you think. Even though when I was thinking, when I first heard it, it, it changed the way I'm thinking. And now I don't think the way I originally thought. But now the way I think is because of what I, the research that I've thought or that I've read. By mid-January 1976, 1976, after another attempt at a house blessing by George and Kathy, they experienced what would turn out to be their final night in the house. The Lutz declined to give a full account of the events that took place on the occasion, describing them as too frightening. Allegedly, there were crazy voices. This, now, this again, I had to research this for several weeks. This, this is the reason why I haven't, one of the reasons why I haven't been able to drop this episode is I, it took me several weeks to find pieces and pieces of this, of, of research and information in order to make a full episode. So allegedly what was too, what was too frightening was that they started feeling people touching them. They were getting hit. They were getting scratched. Things were getting violently thrown off the walls. Uh, They were hearing crazy voices. People weren't themselves saying and acting in manners that they would never normally do on alleged of feeling a demonic force taking over their body. I don't know how accurate all that information is. Again, I had to piece this together here and there over time of over a huge span of different interviews given by the, given by the Lutz family. After getting in touch with father Mancuso, the Lutz has decided the Lutz has decided to take some belongings and stay at Kathy's mother's house in nearby Deer Park, New York until they had sorted out the problems with the house. They claimed that the phenomenon would follow them there, describing greenish-black slime coming up the staircase towards them. The only time that I've ever seen green slime move was on the movie Blob, and it wasn't even green. It was like a pinkish red that moved up stairs. I mean, we all know that water gravity is going to take things down. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to debunk this. What I'm trying to do is trying to reason what's going on in my brain. My hamsters are working overdrive trying to figure out exactly what, who, what, when, where, and why, which is fine. But as, as I get deeper into this and I, and I start sharing more information, you're going to understand why I'm so upset and why I'm saying the things that I'm saying. 
On January 14, 1976, George and Kathy Lutz, with their three children and their dog Harry, left 112 Ocean Avenue, leaving all of their possessions behind. The next day, a mover arrived to remove the possessions to send them to the Lutzes. He reported no paranormal phenomena while inside the house. Let me read that again. The next day, a mover arrived to remove the possessions to send to the Lutzes. The mover reported no paranormal phenomena while inside the house. Now, I know you're looking at your phone, your computer, your speaker, your earbuds. I know you're looking at me sideways right now. I know this. I know you're like, Grumbler, you're speaking wild. You're going wild on the yard right now, Grumbler. What are you trying to say, man? You're, 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 you're just wild on the yard right now. Yes, I understand that a demonic possession isn't going to show itself every day, every minute, every second of every living, breathing moment. I understand that. And I understand that if one family is targeted, that the family is going to, the, the family is going to only suffer and experience those phenomena, those paranormal phenomena. I understand that. However, however, wouldn't it, wouldn't someone just feel creepy? Like there's eyes on them or there's someone else inside of the room? Or wouldn't they see the green ooze and the slime that allegedly had leaked everywhere all over the entire house? Wouldn't there be things busted and broken all over the house from being violently thrown and knocked off the walls? See, none of that was reported by the mover. The mover said that things had been unpacked and have yet to be arranged as the family would like it, as the family would like it to be. So in that case, what that tells me is that someone's not telling the truth. But Grumbler, there's several accounts showing that this actually happened in the Amityville house. I know. Trust me, I'm right there. Trust me. I'm, look at, you know, I, I'm, I have a cup of water right here next to me, but it's not really a cup of water. What it is, is just, it's a big cup of holy water. I have a cross on the right side of me and I'm, I want to be afraid. I am waiting for the Amityville house demonic people to come over to Texas. No, not really. Hey, if, hey, I'm just playing. If you heard me say that, ghostess, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not the ghostess with the mostess. Please don't, don't come at me. I was, I'm just doing this for the show. I, I really don't, I'm not really waiting for you to show up. I'm really not. So what are some suspicions? I know people are scratching their heads right now. They're like, Grumbler, you're, you're making me think a way that I don't want to think. You're, 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 my, my, head, my head's a pretzel. My, 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 head, my head's a pretzel right now. Yes, I understand that. My head is a pretzel as well. And again, I was very upset at the fact that I actually read through all of this shit and it made me alter my way of thinking about the Amityville house horror. But Grumbler, you're always on the mark, man. I know I'm always on the mark, man. But this time, what? This time. So what are some suspicions? There have been several suspicions on who, what, when, where, why, and how. Now we're going to jump back in time. We're going to jump back to the when the DeFeos owned the house. We're going to put the Lutz family on hold for a second, and we're going to get into the original reasoning of the murders and stuff that happened in the house. But Grumbler, you just rewound everything. I know I rewound everything. I know. There's a reason for it. Just bear with me, okay? I know I've been on a hiatus. I know things are a little crazy right now, but I'm back. So just just, just bear with me. Just trust me. Just I, I, Trust the Grumbler. Trust the Grumbler, okay? There have been question marks over DeFeo's guilt from the moment he was arrested, given that the, the authorities at the time were convinced the crime had to have been carried out by more than one person. Now, let me read that again. 
There have been question marks over DeFeo's guilt from the moment he was arrested, given that the authorities at the time were convinced the crime had to have been carried out by more than one person. The reason why people are saying that, that, that uh, there, had, there had to be more than one person involved was that there's no way possible that you're going to be able to shoot six people and not one of them are going to be able to get up and help or run or scream or get out of the house in, in order not to be shot by, the, by Butch. So obviously it's going to have to take multiple people at the same time to kill him in order to get away with such a crime. Now, this, this gentleman, Osuna, that I'm going to mention, he wrote the book on the, uh, he wrote a book regarding the Amityville and he goes into extreme detail. I don't even know this guy's first name. I just know that his last name's Osuna. But he goes into great detail. I, I skimmed a few chapters of the book. I added some of the information here in the book. But check it out. Just look up uh, Osuna author for Amityville House and it'll pop up and you'll be able to get it. In his conclusions, Osuna maintains that DeFeo killed his parents, Ronald and Luis DeFeo, with the help of a friend, but that his younger siblings were killed by his 18-year-old sister, Dawn, who was then shot by DeFeo after he witnessed the atrocities saying, quote, I'm sorry, not, not he, DeFeo didn't say quote. Osuna said, quote, I think that Dawn was involved and simply saying so makes me sad because we are talking about a girl ready to do anything to get out of the house and escape from her parents. Osuna said via email. So Mr. Osuna is alleging that DeFeo killed his parents, but also the help of his friend, but his 18-year-old sister killed his siblings. And when DeFeo realized that his 18-year-old sister Dawn shot and killed his siblings, his younger siblings, he was horrified by it. He was very upset, ended up shooting Dawn as, I guess, justice and revenge, I'm, I'm assuming. But think about that. Just, just think about that for a minute. I mean, you kill six people. I mean, that's where the haunting of the house, to me, doesn't make sense. We have a house that is allegedly supposed to muffle the, the shots of a, of a weapon. And, and not being able to hear anyone for, for and he's able to murder six people on his own very slow and methodically. No, there had to have been help. I, that I understand, that I agree with. Again, this is one of the reasons why I was upset and very, very upset about and not happy about making this episode, but I, had, I felt it had to be done. The author, among other arguments, points to the affidavit signed in 1974 by Don's boyfriend with whom she wanted to move to Florida despite the disapproval of her parents. He also holds up as evidence a supposedly comic song written by Don sometime earlier, The Night That the Feos Died, also the title of his book, in which she fantasized about the murder of her family. So the, night, the, the name of the book by Mr. Osuna is The Night That the Feos Died. That's the name of the book. Not the Amityville. That's a different book that I, that I was reading. But allegedly the boyfriend, Dawn's boyfriend, was, was saying that she was supposed to move with him down into Florida, but the parents didn't want her to. I mean, what's, what's, I mean, what, what's there not to approve of, of an 18-year-old moving down to Florida? Florida of all fucking states. Florida? Really? And then despite her approval, he also holds up evidence, a supposedly comic song, a comedic song written by Dawn. Sometime earlier, the date is unknown when she actually wrote the song or allegedly wrote this song. 
But the title of the song is The Night the DeFeos Died. Is that a coincidence or was that a setup? I mean, it, it, it allegedly it's written in her handwriting. It was in her stuff and her journal and her, her documentation, her documents. But is it a coincidence or did, was it a premeditated murder? Or was it the legitimate demonic possession of the house that drove DeFeo insane? And why only DeFeo and why not the entire family? Mind you, the, the, the DeFeo family, well, we can't really take counts to that, but the only, the only account that we have really is, is, the, is Butch saying that he's the one who witnessed and heard and experienced several paranormal hauntings, demonic possessions, and so on and so forth. I mean, he's the only one because all the rest of them are dead. The domestic horror described to the author was centered on the violent character of Ronald DeFeo who abused his wife and children. The domestic horror described to the author was centered on the violent character of Ronald DeFeo who abused his wife and children. Now I've mentioned it before and and I'll mention it again. When kids are brought up in an extremely abusive household, their brain chemical and their brain development alters and it causes them to act out and turn into sociopaths and do things out of revenge or justice or hatred. That is not uncommon. I mean, we think about it. Richard Ramirez, John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer, Ed Gein. We, we, we have all these people who, who legitimately had issues growing up. And they ended up turning into sociopathic killers. Now, is this too far-fetched for DeFeo to, to have that same thing? No. Once an abuser, they're pretty much have always been an abuser ever since each and every kid have been young. Let's continue. Furthermore, the family was directly linked to organized crime through Luis DeFeo's father, Michael Brigante Sr., who was an associate of of the Gambino crime family boss, Carlo Gambino. And that is legitimately confirmed. Those are actually allegations that are true. Luis DeFeo's father, Michael Brigante Sr., was directly a direct associate of Carlo Gambino, who, of course, was one of the senior bosses of the Gambino crime family. Look it up. It's there. But why is the ties to the mafia so important, Grumbler? I will get there. I will get there. Trust me. According to Butch DeFeo, who worked alongside his father at Bracante's dealership and his girlfriend, they were already more than familiar with death, having had to dispose of bodies on behalf of the mafia. So now, according to the son, Butch DeFeo, who who killed his six siblings or his family members, his entire family, he allegedly worked alongside his father at Brigante's dealership. Not only that, but DeFeo's girlfriend also worked there, and all three of them were very familiar with death having had to dispose of bodies on behalf of the mafia, allegedly. Now, no one can, obviously, no one's going to be able to confirm that story, like the mafia is going to pull out the records. Like, like he's going to keep records of it. You know, hey, Butch took care of X amount of, uh, of bodies. His girlfriend took care of X amount of bodies. Then the daddy took him, uh, X amount of bodies. Hey, Paulie. Hey, Paulie, where do you want me to put these documents, Paulie? Just go ahead and put them right there on the coffee table, Paulie. Just, just going to put them right here, Paulie. 
I apologize for anyone who who had a witness and hear this horrible accent attempt at at someone from the East Coast. I meant no offense. I just thought it sounded cool in my head. <laughs> Although Ronald DeFeo's erratic and reckless behavior had led to the mobster's eyes to alight on him, Osuna rules out his involvement in the Amityville massacre since the killing of his children violates the code of the Italian mafia. It is not a secret, or at least I don't think it's a secret, where one of the things that that uh, they don't that the Italian mafia don't really do is they don't really kill kids. It used to be women and children, but of course, sometimes the women are directly involved as the man or the husband or whoever male uh, role model or or person that's involved. And sometimes the, the woman has to get taken out as well. But it is a stone cold law that no children will ever be harmed in any way, shape, or form. So based off of that, however long rule has been longstanding, the mafia has been cleared. Has been cleared of the murder of the Lutz family. But you ask, why? Why would the, if the, if the, if the mafia was involved in killing the family, why didn't they kill everyone? Exactly. Why wouldn't they have killed everyone? Why would they leave one loose string, one loose ribbon, one loose wild card? Yes, I understand that abusing his family, the dad would automatically be taken out. 100% understandable. But why would they kill the wife who was the victim and the children who were victims? It doesn't make any sense. But then they leave Butch, who was also a victim. Wouldn't they have left the entire family and just only taken out the husband? For violating the mafia's code and, and code of conduct and standards, right? So the killing of the mafia just doesn't make sense to me. It, that the, that part does not add up as far as solidifying the reasoning or who killed the 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 DeFeo family. I think I said the Lutz family, but I didn't mean the Lutz. I meant the DeFeo family. On November 12th, after a violent argument in which Ronald DeFeo attacks his wife and several of his children, leaving his youngest child, a nine-year-old, with a bloodied face. So not only did this guy fly off the handle, he beat the shit out of his nine-year-old and left him with a bloody face. Dawn, for her part, tried to defend herself with a knife. Convinced that her father would kill them all if they did not act first, Dawn persuades her older brother, Butch, to kill Ronald during the night. She also encourages the same fate for her mother, for her mother Louise, who despite also being a victim of abuse, is seen by Dawn as beyond hope, as she, has, as she was always unconditionally on Ronald's side. So allegedly the mastermind for the entire DeFeo slaughtering wasn't a demonic voice inside of a wall or a haunted house. It was all mastermind and plotted by the 18-year-old sister, Dawn. Which by his quote, allegedly, they were able to find this information out from DeFeo, supposedly, that Don persuades her older brother Butch to kill Ronald during the night, Ronald being their dad. Which after that, which after during the day was he beat the shit out of everyone, even his nine-year-old, their nine-year-old brother so bad that his face was bloody. And so Don tried to defend herself with a knife, but ended up getting her ass kicked as well. So is that, is that far-fetched? Absolutely not. Is that believable? Absolutely. So who killed the DeFeo family? Was it, I know, well, we all know Butch did it. 
But was Butch persuaded by her by his 18-year-old sister? Or was it a demonic force inside of the house? We'll get into that. And then the mom got it for allegedly being unconditionally on, on the dad's side. Trial and conviction. Of course, there's going to be a trial. And of course, there's going to be a conviction on Butch. There's no doubt. that Of course, that's going to happen. The bulk of Osuna's, Osuna's book provides a wealth of documentation and data that at the very least cast doubt over the rigor with which the trial was conducted and how the evidence and how the evidence was treated. For example, in the crime scene photos which are reproduced in the book, bloodstains can be seen in places that do not add up with the story that the DeFeos were all killed in their beds, which serves to support Osuna's versions of the evidence, version of the of the events. So allegedly, according to what the crime scene photo showed and what was described, they don't match. They don't add up. So meaning that it is assumed by Osuna, the author, that that everyone was killed out of their beds and then later dragged into their beds and placed there as if they had never been removed from their beds. That's more realistic to me. You're going to have an execution-style killing all in one area. That way nobody can get away with them. Well, that's going to make more sense to me. I mean, you're going to tell me that you were, you're able to murder six people in their bed without one person screaming and hiding and being killed in a different part of the room? That's not realistic, man. If if anyone has ever shot a gun or been in the vicinity of the gun out in real life, that's get shot. The, the the sound is really loud. I grew up in the hood, and I also shoot a lot of guns myself currently, and it is loud, especially a rifle. A rifle is loud. So this makes more sense to me where DeFeo didn't shoot them in their beds. They weren't laying down in their beds. They were shot somewhere else and then placed in their beds to make it seem like they were shot in bed to support, to support the ridiculous, I'm not going to say ridiculous, but the theory of the house being haunted. Because it's not ridiculous. It can actually happen. I, I've heard and seen some shit in my time which I'm not going to call it ridiculous. I just, you know, different things happen different times. But I don't, in this case, I don't think DeFeo was was possessed by a demonic house or made to go insane. I believe this was a greater beast. This was more of a personal vendetta that caused him to do what he did. The discovery of a bullet with a different caliber from the Marlin rifle Butch discarded after the massacre in the marital room, the marital bedroom is also highlighted by Osuna. So allegedly, Butch used a Marlin rifle to shoot all six family members. However, there was a bullet with a different caliber that didn't match the rifle in the marital bedroom that raises questions, but it was never addressed. Pretty much they wanted to throw the book at at, at DeSeo. Okay. However, it is in Osuna's chronicling of anomalies during the trial that the Amityville case starts to deal with paranormal phenomena. However, it is in Osuna's chronicling of anomalies during the trial that the Amityville case starts to deal with paranormal phenomena. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. I'll get to that. 
a useful gauge of the police brutality me, me, metered out during the era in Suffolk County is, an, is the astronomical confession rate during interrogation. 95% compared to, for example, 35% in the Bronx or 20% in Kings County, Brooklyn. Osuna maintains that the confession of Butch DeFeo, an alcoholic and heroin addict, stating that he was the sole culprit, was obtained under torture. The various judges involved in the trial processes in the in, in the trial process rejected all evidence to that effect, meaning that there's undisputed there's undisputed evidence showing that there was intimidation and torture to in false guilt and false testifying and false uh, what is that confessions because of the torture that these people were going under. And again, the the Osuna, the author, says that Butch DeFeo might have been a victim of torture, which he falsely confessed. Being an alcoholic and a heroin addict? And he was the sole murderer, the sole culprit in this event when when logistically it's not possible to kill six people without one of them waking up and getting away or calling help or doing whatever. You're not gonna get you're not gonna shoot six people in separate bedrooms that you have to actually walk more than three pe- three three feet from and kill people while face down laying on their back. There's no way. But you're telling me that Osuna confessed to doing it. I mean, not Osuna, but DeFeo confessed to doing it all on his own? Bullshit. I don't believe it. The prosecutor and the police admitted on several occasions that the crime would have required three people and another independent investigation by by retired police detective Herman Race reached the same conclusion. Now, this isn't just by one individual. This is by multiple investigators. This is by multiple police officials. This is by even retired detectives saying that it is impossible for one person, one person to act out such a heinous crime. Now, look, let's, let's take the heinous crime part out. It is impossible and not realistic for one individual to murder six people face down, laying in the bed without anyone moving. They either had to be drugged, already dead, or placed there after the fact, after they had been shot in the back. There, there's no way, there's no way realistically that the crack of a gun, even twice, everyone was still going to stay asleep. There's no way. They either, again, they either had to be drugged or they were killed prior in their sleep, suffocated or something else in order for them to stay completely still and be allowed to be shot in the back without attempting to get away. It's human nature, fight or flight. We're going to fight or flight. You hear the crack of a gun so close in your house you're going to get up and you're going to try to run away or you're going to try to fight the individual. Either way, you're not just going to stay laying down and get shot in the back and allow that to happen. You're just not going to do it. Let's continue. However, media interest in the case and personal and political ambitions of those on the side of the law prescribed swift justice, even if that meant presenting inconsistent official versions of what took place. So pretty much this was a political, this was political leverage. It was probably a, an election year. And so everyone was lobbying that, just said, I can fight crime, and this guy was horrendous, heinous, and violent, and we're going to throw the book at him. Even though there was inconsistencies in the evidence, the evidence didn't add up, and photos and every other things just didn't make sense. But they did it anyway. Boy, I tell you. Is the house really haunted? That's what we want to know. Grumbler, is the house really haunted? That's what I want to know. We're going to find out. Butch DeFeo was not the first person or the last to view the horrific loss of six human lives as a business opportunity. 
His lawyer, William Weber, in desperation due to being repeatedly denied access to evidence in a scheme worthy of the series Better Call Sal, took part in the organization of the infamous demonic haunting plot at the house in Amityville. Oh, you heard that right. The lawyer took this as a business opportunity. And even though it was being, he was repeatedly denied access to evidence, he created a scheme worthy of the series, Better Call Saul, which it takes part in the organization of the infamous demonic haunting plot at the house in Amityville. They wanted money. They made it all up. Grumbler, they did not make it up. There's indisputable evidence. Yeah, by who? By the Lutz? I will get there. According to Geraldine, Weber hoped to use it in Butch DeFeo's favor during the trial. To carry out the plan, Weber formed a partnership with the next occupants of 112 Ocean Avenue, the Lutz family. Oh, you did you hear that out? Yeah. Yeah. To carry out the plan, Weber formed a partnership with the next occupants of the one of 112 Ocean Avenue, the Lutz family who through Jay Anson's 1977 best-selling novel, The Amityville Horror, described the supernatural experiences they had lived through during the 28 days they said they spent in the house. Now, we, we know that they bought the house. Their house was on the deed. They, they're the ones who purchased. They have the loan supposedly for 112 Ocean Avenue, right? Right. But, we, but Weber was going to use this scheme, this brought up, this made up event to say that there was possession in the house to help Butch DeFeo's case. So in order to make his shit rock solid, to have an, a, a, a leak proof plan, he cooperated and asked the help of the Lutz family to conjure up everything that happened to him in order to validate the insanity plea by Butch DeFeo. This is why I was upset. This is why I didn't want to do this episode. This is why I did not want, I didn't want to do it. I was so gung-ho. I was so happy that I'm going to do the Amityville House War. I was going to read about demons and ghouls and ghosts. But no, none of that. It was a business plot between the, the Weber lawyer, lawyer the Weber, or Weber the lawyer, <laughs> and the Lutz family in order to make money and make a seal-proof tight case to get DeFeo off on an insanity plea. Really, that is what happened. This is why I was upset. This is why I didn't want I, I, I'm telling you, I didn't want to do this only because of that reason. Once I read it, I was burnt. I was, my heart hurt a little bit. I wanted possession. But let's continue. For those of you who are disappointed, the disappointment continues. Let's go. A priest was added to the cast who was later defrocked by his diocese. Diocese, diocese. I, can't, I, can, never, I can never pronounce that word. D-I-O-C-E. S-E, diocese. A priest was added to the cast who was later defrocked by his diocese, as well as the well-known demonologist husband and wife team of Ed and Lorraine Warren, who held a seance during which they captured a photograph of a, quote, 
demonic boy who looked remarkably similar to one of their photographs, one of their photographers, photographers own children. Boy, I tell you, when I read this piece of information, I got up from my chair, walked around it, threw my hands in the air, and just just stopped. I turned off my computer. I was I was upset. I shut the whole shit down. I shut the whole research team down. I fired each and every one of my researchers. I said, you're fired. You're fired. Everyone's fired. Get the fuck out of here when I read that shit. Let me, let me, let me, for those of you in the back who are having a difficult time listening to me, I did do a two and a half hour radio show yesterday, so my voice might be a little, little jacked up. But let me read this to you guys in the back. Yeah, you, stay, hey, sit down. Quit standing up during the show. A priest was added to the cast who was later defrocked by his diocese, as well as the well-known demonologist husband and wife team of Ed and Lorraine Warren, who held a seance during which they captured a photograph of a demonic boy who looked remarkably similar to one of the photographer's own children. What I just read was that they hired a fake priest, or they hired a priest who was later fired from his from uh, from his his diocese from his church for being involved in such crap and then Ed and Lorraine Warren ended up taking a picture of one of the photographer one of the photographer's children trying to pass it off as a quote demonic boy number one that's fucked up for the kid number two if I was the dad I'd punch that fool in the fucking neck call my kid looking like a demonic boy I'm not down with that shit I'm not down with that shit at all Boy, I tell you. Lorraine Warren herself makes an appearance in the 2012 documentary, My Amityville Horror, which focuses on the testimony of Daniel Lutz, one of the Lutz family children during their stay at 112 Ocean Avenue. Once all that, I mean, I mean, okay, I understand. You're going to do that. You're, you're, you're going to, Lorraine, okay, this is the way I see it. The Warren family are media attention whores. They wanted to grow a business. They wanted to make sure that whatever they did was blowing up to where they were financially stable. I can't knock them for that. But for them to to pass off, I mean, they're already questioning a lot of their cases anyway. A lot of them have been been debunked. In In the scene, which will not be swiftly forgotten by anyone who has seen it, Warren displays a fragment of what she says is the true cross on which Jesus Christ died in a box containing hairs from the head of St. Pius of Petrolacina while reciting prayers with lutes. All right. I mean, just alone, you can sell that for a bazillion dollars. Unlike other works of fiction, the forest can be seen from the trees and in the testimony of Lutz, who is convinced he witnessed paranormal phenomenon as a 10-year-old lurks the shadow of coercion and above all, parental abuse. So unlike other works of fiction, the forest can be seen from the trees and in the testimony of Lutz, who is convinced he witnessed paranormal phenomenon as a 10-year-old lurks the shadow of coercion and above all, parental abuse. So meaning, what I got from that was that even though this 10-year-old who was now adult recall, re- recalling his versions of what he saw in, in the house, 
was really things just didn't add up. And it sounded more like coercion of him being convinced that this happened. And above all, this just an overpowering parental abuse that made it seem like things were just not acting or were just not right. So again, this is probably debunked as one of the biggest hoax and money-making schemes in the entire history of paranormal. This is a huge setback for everyone who actually believed like myself and was completely in, in, enthralled with the, with the thought of it happening. Osuna said, quote, in my opinion, the Lutz, the Lutz children were discouraged. God damn, I can't even speak. In my opinion, the Lutz family were disgracefully used as a, as part of a scam. And that must have affected them in a serious way, says Osuna, who, whose initial interest in Amityville led him before his investigation to maintain a business relationship with the father of the family, George Lutz or Lutz. I don't know. I keep saying both Lutz or Lutz. So Osuna, before his investigation, he maintained a business relationship with the father, meaning that he was selling his story and being able to have firsthand information, so to speak, in order to create this book and again, make more money. I'm not knocking, don't knock the hustle. I'm not knocking the hustle. In, in his book, Osuna recalls the moment he lost all faith in Lutz when he was told, quote, Clearing up what happened isn't as important as making more money with sequels. Lutz also told the author to court for his description of the haunting scam in the book and, as was the case with Butch DeFeo, lost the suit. So let me, let me reread that because I was, I was kind of all over the place. Osuna recalls the moment he lost all faith in Lutz when Lutz told him, clearing up what happened isn't as important as making more money with sequels, meaning that I, no, I don't care about the truth. I want to sell what actually happened. I want, to, I want to make more money off of what I said happened, what we thought might have happened, what we made up. And it also says that he also took the author to court for his description of the haunting scam in the book, and was, and which was the case with Butch DeFeo lost the suit because it was all just a big hoax. Everything was a lie. Everything. It was all made up. Lutz just admitted it. You can read about it. Lutz admitted it several times that it was all a scam. Him and the lawyer Weber decided that they were going to create this and make a shitload of money, and they did. Their name has been signed on to tons of movies. Even the original Amityville House horror in the 70s or 80s. The, the Lutz family was signed, and they received royalties from that movie. Everything that has the Amityville House name on it, the Lutz family and that lawyer Weber are making shitload of money from it. I was hurt. I was very sad. I was very upset. I was very angry that the fact that this even happened. Boy, I tell you, I'm all worked up right now. It was just a scam. Although Butch DeFeo and George Lutz are now dead, pilgrimages to 112 Ocean Avenue by people curious about the famous case continues. Much the weariness of the various families who have lived there since the events of 1974 and who have stated they have never experienced anything paranormal or demonic. Now, if you, if you remember the case that it was said that this house is so possessed that you cannot stay there for more than 24 hours. But since then, several families have lived and sold that house because of the amount of money that that house has made on the market. Of course, I'm going to sell the house too. If I buy a house for $200,000 and I'm living there for three years and now it goes up to $600,000, I'm selling the house. I'm not going to stay there for that long. And then plus, I mean, a lot of people sold the house because of the annoying visitors that would go to their house and try to walk in and try to spend a night. 
I mean, people would go to this house and say, can I look inside the house where all people got shot and killed at? Yeah, I'd sell the fucking house too. Graveyard Grumbler's final thoughts. Let's go ahead and wrap this shit up. So as you, as you know, I am very upset and very heartbroken at the fact that this was not a real case of demonic possession. This was nothing more than just a money-making scheme. And I'm, I'm, I'm very heartbroken about that. I'm very, very, very heartbroken. Because, I, I mean, if, if anything at all, I was hoping that the Amityville House Horror would have some sort of haunting, some sort of paranormal. But because of that, because of the Lutz family agreeing with the, with the lawyer, saying, let's go ahead and make some money, everything goes out the window. And what also caps it to make, to make my belief even, even stronger that nothing happened was that Several families since 1974 have lived in that house and not one of them has experienced even the slightest paranormal activity in that house. Not a door opening, not footsteps, not any kind of uh, voices hearing around, nothing. Not even a little fucking pig running around, not even a demonic pig. Demonically oinking through the house, have they even witnessed that? Let alone a, a a demonic marching band. It was very disappointing to me that this wasn't real. It was very disappointing to me that it was debunked and proven that the only thing that happened was that there was murders because it was the result of an abusive family, an abusive father and mother. Even though she was a victim, she was just as abusive verbally and mentally as the father was physically and everything else. Who knows? It might have been sexually as well. That's not stated. I'm not, I'm not assuming and I'm not, I'm not saying and I'm not accusing. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just trying to say what other types of abuse was there? Boy, I tell you. That's all I have to say about that. There's not, there's not much more I can say about the Amityville House Horror. I was just very upset and very disappointed that this was 1,000% debunked. I can't believe it. If you're still interested, I mean, if you're still interested even after watching this, go watch the movie just for entertainment value, the movie with Ryan Reynolds, the Amityville House Horror. It was a really good movie. Ryan Reynolds played that played the part excellent in that movie. I would go check it out. I mean, I, I own it, and I'm probably going to watch it tonight just because I like the entertainment value of it. But can I can can I can I say and take it with a grain of salt now? No, I'm not taking it with anything because I know the truth now, and I'm and I'm hurt. My heart hurts. Boy, I tell you, announcements, announcements, announcements. The Patreon is back on. I will start doing stories, and I will start doing special episodes on the Patreon. I guarantee. My new release episodes now are going to be on Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, probably Thursday. Those are my new days off, and I have three days, three full days now to work on the show and the podcast, and I will be doing such, and I will also be dedicating so much more time into the Patreon and trying to make it to the most outstanding, unbelievable thing that has ever occurred on a Patreon. And it will still be $5 a month for all of my lawyer listeners. I appreciate you guys very much. Thank you. I appreciate each and everyone. Watch out the, the, let me see here. Next week, I will be releasing the April stories and probably an April Patreon episode. If you're interested, just look it up on my Instagram, Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. You can subscribe there. Trust me, I release a bunch of shit. I mean, there's a shitload of episodes there now. I do all of my spooky stories on there. I do, I do episodes that are too graphic for regular podcast release. I, I do that on the podcast. I mean, on the Patreon as well. And I also do this thing called Confessions on there as well. It's, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good deal. 
Five bucks, no, no, no higher, no lower all the time. And let me see here. That's about it. Other than that, I want to thank everybody for staying loyal. I know everybody was wondering where my episodes, if I was coming back, but I'm back. I'm back like herpes. No, not back like herpes. Let's take that out. I'm not back like herpes, but I'm back. <laughs> I appreciate each and every one of you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you everyone for listening. And as always, good morning, good day, good night, goodbye. This is the end, this is the end, this is the end. You just friend, 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 friend. Graveyard Grumbler Graveyard Podcast. Grumbler.